sentient beings like us have been going through life and death, and we call it rebirth. In some of the religions, they also call it reincarnations. That means we don't just have this life, there are previous lives, and if you're not enlightened, you have to roll into the next life with your karma. And then in the universe, in the cosmos, for example, uh, how many beings are there? What kind of beings are there? There are basically six worldlings and the four sages. And this is the line of rebirth, life and death, reincarnation. We call it Zamzara. So this level is already out from life and death, out from rebirth. They don't go through suffering, tribulations, mental afflictions. They don't have those anymore because they were enlightened and they got out of zamzara, got out of rebirth. We, you and I, plus other categories, were still in life and death. And humans is more or less in the middle. And of course, there are spirits, some people call ghosts, and there are also animals, there are also victims of hell. And above the humans, there's also the Azuras and heavenly beings. Sometimes you call them gods or guardian angels or all that, heavenly beings. But even in this, all these categories of existence are still subject to life and death. Reborn again and die and reborn again carry themselves with all the karma that they have created. So these are the six worldlings. Now, there are people who were enlightened, millions of them, and these are in four different levels, Pratyaka Buddha, Sravakas, Bodhisattvas, and Buddha. Now, Pratyaka Buddha are those who were enlightened and who got out of samsara already. They don't go through life and death. We have to understand that going through life and death is suffering. Now, we already have mentioned that. You have to understand the concept of rebirth. And this is a concept that you can check into internet, cases of reincarnations, cases of rebirth and, and being born again and die and born again. And uh, many of these cases, um, nowadays we can get internet. And if you really want to, to get scientific investigations of reincarnations, you can check into cases conducted by Dr. Ian Stephenson, who conducted more than 3,500 cases of reincarnations for 30, 40 years. Uh, Ian Stephenson. And then there are many, many cases of reincarnations. These are clinical studies, and uh, science cannot prove reincarnation or are not yet in a position or capable enough, I don't know, to prove reincarnation. However, they cannot disprove reincarnation. In other words, they cannot say there is reincarnation or they cannot say there is no reincarnation because our level of science is not yet up to that level where we can prove it or disprove it. But Ian Stevenson conducted a lot of investigations on it, um, semi-scientifically. Uh, this is a field that many scientists still explore, but this could be above human intelligence to 
to plow into it. So now that's what we have to do. We have to know. I came across a, 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 a principal of a, of a very famous university, and um, I had a chat with him, and he told me, "Reverend, do you know why I believe in the Buddhist teaching? Something very simple." He's a scientist, and he said, "Venerable." Um, I believe in the Buddhist teaching simply because of one belief that I have in my mind. I think it's more equal. There's equality if there's a next life. You know why? If I don't have a next life, I can do what I want. I can kill. I can rape. I can do all these bad things, and I won't have any effects to to affect me. I don't have the tribulations to suffer. So it's right to kill as long as I'm happy. It's right to steal. It's right to it's right to do anything. I can wage a war in another country, occupy the country, kill the people, and occupy the land. I can do what I want as long as what I'm doing can satisfy my senses, satisfy my eyes, my nose, my ears, my mind. I feel happy about it. But I don't believe in that. I believe that there is a cause that you. Germinate now. There's an effect to come up later. So it is more fair, he said. If there's a next life, it's more fair because you did something wrong in this life. You suffer it in your next life. It's just like if you kill someone and get caught by the police and judged by the court. There's compensation. There's penalty. There's imprisonment. There's even the death penalty. So there's equality. That's the reason I believe in reincarnation. I said, oh yeah, that's a good reason. It's more equality. Otherwise, you've done something wrong in this life. There's no nothing will happen to you. <laughs> whatever you have encountered in this life, whatever you have experienced in this life, is because of what you have done in the previous life. You spread all these seeds of apples, of of grape trees, of uh, oranges, in the soil. That's the cost. Years later, one or two years later, you get oranges and apples and all that. Because you put your seeds there, you have the water, you have the sunlight, you have fertilizers, you have all these things. The oranges will come, the apples will come. So it's more fair. He said, "Oh, yeah, that's a good way to explain it." Next, remember we'll talk about the stravakas, which is another level. The stravakas they were born in the time when there was a Buddha. They were born in the time when there was the Buddhist teaching. So they were able to read. They were able to listen. And what methods should they use? They use 37 aids of enlightenment. But in the sutra, it mentions only two very important methods. They observed the four noble truths. They got enlightened by meditation on the four noble truths. He observed that the world is a world of suffering. He knows there's suffering. If you don't even know up to now that you are living in a world of suffering, you have not experienced life. A lot of people they still don't know we are all in suffering. But it does not mean that we are pessimistic. We are living in suffering, but we want to overcome suffering. We're living in a life that will face death, will face aging, will face sickness, will face many many things. Many many sufferings, wars, catastrophes, tsunamis,、um, executions, suppressions,、uh, fighting, crimes, corruptions.
We're living in a world of sufferings. But some people may not agree. I'm happy. I'm happy. Yeah. You can use the happy attitude to avoid thinking about suffering. But you cannot escape the fact of suffering. When you know that you're going to die sooner or later, how can you be happy? When you know that you're going to age sooner or later, when you are sick, when you know that you got a sickness that you cannot cure, would you be happy? How can you be happy? When one day, your mom, your dad, your relative passed away, you were grief-stricken. Isn't that suffering? If you're living with your husband that you hate, would that be suffering? If your girlfriend deserted you and get somebody else, is it suffering? If you couldn't get a job that you want, would it be the suffering? If your colleagues despise you, if your supervisors criticize you without reason, wouldn't it be suffering? Many, many sufferings. You have to understand suffering first. You don't even know. If a prisoner living in a prison don't even know living in a prison is suffering, he could never get out. He does not know what freedom is all about. He does not know. We want to have that freedom. We want to have that liberation from suffering. Knowing suffering is to find a method to liberate ourselves from sufferings. That's what the Buddha did. So the Buddha wants to find out, yes, we have sufferings, but we don't just wait for suffering. We don't just be overwhelmed by suffering and don't know about it. We want to find out why we suffer. So we want to find out the origins of suffering. And then we know these reasons, causes of suffering, then we find a method to cease suffering, to overcome it. And when we overcome suffering, we got enlightenment. So these are the Four Noble Truths. It's like a Harvard case study. When you're presented with a case, 16 pages of cases of a company, you read through the 16 pages, you have to identify the problems. Once you identify the problem, it's just like identify suffering, then what do you do? You find a method to resolve the problems. Why there are such problems? You have to understand why the problems come out. And then you find method to resolve it. And once you resolve it, you identify the problems, you know the reasons for all these problems, you find a method to solve the problems, then you're out. That's a Harvard case study. Nothing about blind favor, prostration. People misunderstand the Buddha's teaching. They thought that coming to the to a temple is to get blessings from the Buddha. No, no blind faith and reliance. No such thing in the Buddhist teaching. You determine your own destiny. You can change your destiny and change it today. Don't wait. Don't attach to the past anymore. You've been abused in your childhood. Get rid of that memory because it will not come back again. Well, whatever pain you have, don't attach to them. Live at the present moment, change, change for the better. You stumble, you fall, get up your knapsack, walk again. Don't cry. Don't cry over spilt milk. Don't cry. Just put your knapsack on and walk and walk and walk the path. The vulnerable truth tells you all that. Suffering, ordinary suffering, 
suffering experienced by changes because of changeability there's suffering suffering experienced by conditioned states that's suffering many many suffering I'm just giving you a summary the origin of suffering craving is the most powerful force causing not only suffering in this very life but also the perpetuation of existence it is not the first and the only cause but is conditioned by innumerable causes there is no such thing as the first cause who created the universe who created me you're always looking for the first cause if everything is dependent on everything how can there be a first if there is a first there must be a last if there is a last then you blindly be believe in nihilism you blindly believe in extermination of you or, or, or the death of you forever so if you analyze logically there's no such thing as the first because everything is dependent upon everything the chicken the egg what comes first when you draw a circle what is that point that starts the circle the starting point of the circle is exactly the ending point of the circle it's like a windmill things are neither due to one single cause nor are they causeless everything in the universe is conditioned interdependent and related craving is regarded as the proximate cause of suffering craving is a cause that major in creating suffering you crave for wealth for reputation for money for for relationships for sensual pleasures for many many things and in the process of craving in the process you perform what do you perform you perform deeds words that are immoral when you arrive at that level there's a cessation the cessation of suffering is nirvana which literally means freedom from craving nirvana can only be understood or realized through direct experience not by verbal expressions in positive terms nirvana means peace sublimity purity release excellent happiness in negative terms nirvana means deafness extinction of craving extinction of hatred and extinction of ignorance and so forth no more ignorance no more craving no more hatred that's nirvana in a negative way in a positive way peace i don't know what words you've got to find some words to it so that's the reason why the buddha said buddhism is not buddhism buddhism is just a word if you want to call buddhism roman catholic it's okay don't attach the view of words words are tools not an end to nirvana not an end to enlightenment when you really believe in buddhism throw away buddhism if you believe in the buddha throw away buddha you don't need buddha anymore buddha is just the ship to victoria get on shore don't attach to your view don't attach to your religion even that word religion is not pure throw it away it's only without words without views without expression that you are transcendentally beyond life and death before cessation of suffering you have to find a method leading to the cessation of suffering and this is what the buddhist teaching is all about the noble eightfold path through the development of the eightfold path 
the meditator comprehends life, which is the five aggregates, as suffering eradicates the original suffering, and experience the bliss of the cessation of suffering, which is the realization of nirvana. You really have to learn about all these things. This is just to give you a guideline. And when you know the method, meditation is one of the many methods. The Buddhist teaching is a spiritual research and investigation. The Buddha said, get away, looking for that spiritual odyssey to guide you into nirvana. Get out from suffering, get out from rebirth, get out from mental afflictions, get to that peace of mind. And we have to find a, a terminology, the Buddha has to find something to talk about, and we call that peace of mind nirvana. What is nirvana? Ni is no, vana, motion, movement. In other words, get to a level that your mind is not moving in the wrong direction. It's at that peace, purity, tranquility, where your mind is no more movement of your mind. It does not mean that your mind is dead, no more movement in the wrong direction. It's one peace of mind. So this is the Eightfold Path that the Stravakas believe in. Right view, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right efforts and right mindfulness, right concentration. What is right view? The view based on understanding of the Four Noble Truths, causation, impermanence, karma, and asprabhava, non-individuality of existence and so on. Right thought, Renunciation of greediness, hatred, and ignorance. Renunciation of attachment to the five scanters. Maintaining thoughts of compassion, and so on and so forth. Right speech. Avoidance of lying, cursing, tattletelling, double-tonguing, and flattery. Right action. Restrain from killing, stealing, and sexual misconduct, and so on. Right livelihood. Avoidance of professions that are harmful to sentient beings, such as avoidance of being a slaughterer, avoidance of being a hunter, dealer in weaponry and narcotics, production of pornography, business involved in sex and gambling. You know, stay away from all these that are hurting humans. Right livelihood, right efforts, application of diligence, perseverance and consistency to all the other seven noble eightfold path. Right mindfulness, ongoing mindfulness of the body, feelings and objects of thoughts, in meditations and right concentration, developing mindfulness of the pure mind. So if we can summarize all this, if you have right view and right thought, you have the wisdom we're talking about. Do you have right speech, right action, right livelihood? If you have, then you have the morality that we've been talking about. Do you have right efforts, right mindfulness and right concentration? That's meditation. So what are the three most important subjects if we can call in Buddhism. Wisdom, morality, and meditation. Those are the three most important categories in the Buddhist teaching. Nothing about believing in Buddha and you're okay. Nothing about blind faith. You have to understand it. You have to build up your wisdom. You have to build up your morality. You have been building up your meditation. By doing this these are the three foundations on which you build your, your life experiences on, on which you change. 
If you don't direct your changes to these three categories, you're not doing it right. And these are the 37 aids to enlightenment. We only touched on the Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truth. Next time, I will briefly go through this, the 37 aids to enlightenment of the Theravada, according to Anapanasati Sutta and the Satipatthana Sutta. Uh, the Theravada school, uh, they direct all their practice to the 37 methods. They do it step by step, and they became a saint. They got out from life and death by practicing the 37 methods. You see, especially first-time commerce, you think believing in the Buddhist teaching is just to believe in God, like a God, and God can save you? If God can save you, you don't even have to ask. You're already saved. God wouldn't wait for you to ask and save you. The Buddha said no one can save you except yourself. The Buddha only told you all these methods that he already had experienced. He already got out from life and death. You haven't. And the Buddha said, practice what I practice. You get out from jail. You get out from samsara. But I cannot get you out because you've been locked up in there. I can only give you cause and continuously telling you what to do in order to get out. But I cannot just use my power to get you out. If the Buddha or if God can get you out from prisons, think about it logically. If in your quote-unquote, in your definition of God, if God is really God in your definition, you won't go through what you have gone through. Assuming that we're all in prisons, we're all in suffering. He would have taken you out already. Why would you allow you in jail if he could get you out? Right? That's the definition of God. God always gives the best. In many cases, you create your own world. You create your own destiny. And you have to change all these yourself. Walk your path. Never too late. Whatever errors you have committed in the past, don't attach to them. You walk your present path. Change it today. There's still a lot of time so that you have a bright future. Live the present moment. Walk the present path.